Our text for this morning is the gospel lesson that was read just a few moments ago, Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And I would encourage you to keep this out so that you can look at it as we work our way through it. In the name of Jesus, amen. In one of the gospel lessons that have been read these past few weeks in Lent, we've been on a journey with Jesus. He is on his way to Jerusalem. It will be his last trip to Jerusalem. Many things are happening along the way, many interesting things happening along the way. The journey began, of course, on a mountain in Galilee. And on that mountain, of course, something wondrous happened in this, that while Jesus was praying there with Peter, James, and John, suddenly he was transfigured. And his whole being, his clothing, his appearance, everything began dazzling white, and it's so bright that the disciples couldn't even look at it. Well, after that, well, while that was going on, of course, Moses and Elijah came and they began talking to him. They were on each side of him and they were talking about what was going to happen in Jerusalem. And they were talking about his departure. And while that was happening then, this cloud, the covenant cloud that's so often seen in the Old Testament, moves into the scene. And out of that cloud comes the voice of the Father that says, This is my beloved Son, the one I'm chosen. Listen to him. My, it was a tremendous experience, one of those never-before-happening kind of things and ever since. Anyway, after that, they came down from the mountain. And at the foot of the mountain, Jesus then cast demons out of a, of a little boy who was demon-possessed. Well, as you go on through the gospel lessons and you come down as they or you continue with them along the journey, you see all kinds of things happening. For instance, you hear him settling an argument with the disciples. They're arguing about who is the greatest among them. And then they're coming through Samaria, and they want to stay in this particular village in Samaria. And because of the prejudice the Samaritans had over against the Jews, they would not let Jesus and his disciples stay in their town, and they sent them on down the road. And then in another scene, you see two men coming to Jesus to volunteer to be his followers. And Jesus sets out before them what it really means to be a follower, what the cost is going to be. And in another scene, you see Jesus sending out 72 of his disciples, and they are on an evangelism run, is what we would say. And uh, we heard then, as they came back, the report they gave. So all along the line, as he's coming down, down from Galilee, all the way down through Samaria and so on, to Jerusalem, all of these things have been happening. We've been hearing about them in the Gospel Lessons read, And there's been teaching all along the way. I mean, he has told parable after parable in order to teach the people. But he has also been doing healings, and there are several healings that are along the way too. Well, our text for today is also one of the happenings along the way to Jerusalem. While he's coming down now, our text takes place. And in our text, like all these other scenes, in our text there's a great deal of revelation. And in our text today, what we see is, number one, a call to repentance, and number two, a call to fruit-bearing. And those are the things that we're going to talk about in relation to this text in the next few minutes. A call to repentance and a call to fruit-bearing. And I pray God's blessing upon my speaking and your hearing. Look on the back of your bulletin, would you, to see how our text begins. Some folks approach Jesus, and they have tragic news. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. 
Now, this has had to happen in some years past because Jesus and the disciples right now are on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so some folks who have known about this from the past come to Jesus and tell him this story. That evidently during the Passover time there were Jewish people in the the temple sacrificing, making their sacrifices. And Herod then orders his soldiers to come in and there is a massacre and several of these Jewish people are killed and their blood is mingled in with the blood of their lambs. Now, one wonders what was really behind this. We know, of course, that the Galileans were really, really opposed to Herod, uh, to, to Pontius Pilate and uh, caused him all kinds of trouble. But we also know that Pilate himself was very vengeful and a very cruel man. Well, why this happened, of course, we really don't know. One wonders. But they bring the news to Jesus, and then one wonders about that. Why do they bring this news to Jesus at this particular time? What are they looking for? Are they looking for him to make a political comment? Are they looking for him to get into a theological discussion? Maybe they expected Jesus to decry the Roman occupation and to speak out against it and perhaps even say some things that would call for revolt against the Romans and get them out of there. Maybe they were looking for a theological discussion and they would like to uh, uh, discuss with him you know, uh, the differences or, or why, there are this, why these kind of things happen. And maybe he would be able to settle with them the relationship between sin and tragedy. Well, Jesus doesn't get into any kind of uh, talk with them or discussion with them. He doesn't say anything about Pilate's insane behavior. He says nothing about the relationship between sin and suffering. Uh, He's not going to be pulled into any kind of speculation. He's not going to be pulled into any kind of opinion giving. He is simply going to bring these people back into the here and now and say, what does this mean to you personally? So look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he answers his own question. And he follows it with an exhortation. Look at verse 3. No, he says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Well, the folks had brought them, or brought him, a report of a tragedy that happened because of the sinful nature of human beings, the kind of tragedy that happens very often in a sin-corrupted, sin-hardened world, and Jesus says nothing about it. He does not say anything about what they have just brought to him. But what he does do is he brings up an example of a natural disaster, which also didn't make much sense. But look at verse 4. On those 18, now this is Jesus talking, on those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And again he answers his own question. And he follows it with an exhortation. Listen to what he says. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, says nothing about cause. Says nothing about poor workmanship connected with the Siloam situation. Uh, Doesn't say anything about poor construction. Doesn't say anything about safety regulations or better inspections. And he doesn't say anything about the fairness or unfairness of life. 
Nothing about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nothing about the sovereignty of God, about God sending or permitting or allowing. It says nothing about the mystery of God's doing or not doing. What he talks about is repentance. Now he has just heard about, he's heard about a tragedy, and he has brought up another tragedy, and he doesn't go into any discussion about these. He simply talks about repentance. And he sees in these a call to repentance or a call to self-examination. He sees in these tragedies a call to self-examination. It was a call, an exhortation that the people of that day needed and we today also need. The question is this, and this is what he's asking. And this is what he encourages each of us to ask. Am I living in daily repentance? Am I living in daily repentance? Is my relation to my Lord well and healthy? Am I walking with my Lord in faith and devotion? Very simply, he's asking this. And he's saying to you and to me, this is what you should ask when you hear of tragedy. Am I ready for death? Am I ready for death? Points out to us, of course, as all of us know, death is coming. And it does not always come in our old age. There's not always a set time for it. It can come at any time, anywhere, anyhow. That's what you have in these situations, these tragic situations. It can come when we are children. It can come when we are teens. It can come when we are young people. It can come in our middle age. And it can come in our old age. It is going to come. With our heads, we all know this. With our heads. With our hearts, we cannot imagine it. Death is something that happens to other people. We cannot imagine ourselves not being here. It's hard to imagine. You cannot imagine this world without me. And you can't imagine this world without you either. We can't imagine this happening to us. Other people die. And we know someday we're going to die. But not today. Or not now. Not now. Or not now when tomorrow gets here. Or not now when the next day gets here. Not now. Sometime, yes, sometime and someday, but not now. And because we're not going to die now, we're tempted to put off repentance. And so we, we procrastinate we are sure that we have plenty of time. No matter how old we are, we think we have plenty of time. Or there are other things that can keep us from repentance. Pride is one of them. We hate to admit that we are wrong. We hate to admit that we have been wrong for some time. And the harder, the longer we have been wrong, the harder it is to admit that we have been wrong. And so we have been wrong for months or weeks or even decades, 
But the longer we've been wrong, the harder it is to admit that we have been wrong. Or sin still may be some fun. There still may be some fun in it. We've not yet come to our senses. We're like the prodigal son. His wild living was fun until he uh, ran out of money and ran out, ran out of friends and then came to his senses. And then he was ready for repentance and he went back home. But Jesus points to, in our text, Solomon, a thousand years before Jesus, also pointed to in Ecclesiastes. Listen to this. Solomon said, Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net, or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil things that fall unexpectedly upon them. He says, no fish expects to be caught. And no bird expects to be snared. And no man expects anything tragic to happen to him. What Solomon was saying was the same thing that Jesus said. And so what he was teaching there is this. How do you handle tragedy? How do you handle it? And Jesus says there's one way. Self-examination and repentance. Self-examination and repentance. Think of the changes that perhaps you need to make in your life. The forgiveness that you need to seek. All of those kind of things. Do you think about that? So the question comes to us, these kind of questions. When the disaster, when you hear of a disaster, do you think about the Lord? Not about blaming Him, but do you think about the Lord and your relationship to Him? If you're a husband, if you're a husband, and you hear about a wife being killed or dying in some kind of tragedy, does that make you then look at your own relationship to your wife? Does that make you think in terms of repentance? That perhaps there's some things in my life over against my wife that I should repent of, that I should change, that I should really look at. Or, if you're a wife and you hear of a husband who is taken before his time in some way, does that, you, does that make you as a wife look at yourself and ask the question, where do I need to change? Where do I need to grow? How do I need to become a better wife? Or if you are a teenager, and listen to me, teenagers, if you are a teenager and you hear of another teen being killed or a teen committing suicide, what does that make you think? Do you look at yourself and say, yes, I need to change this in my life and I need to grow in the Lord. I need this... Does it lead you to look at how you are doing with the Lord? And parents, when you hear about something like Sandy Hook, where so many of those kindergartners were killed in that terrible, terrible tragedy, what's your response to that? Do you think about your own children and about their own spiritual life and where they are in their relationship to Jesus and 
Do you think about perhaps Sunday school and things like this where you should be doing things that perhaps you're not doing? Or do you think just like the world? And the world, when it hears something like this, can think only of gun safety and locked doors and more safety. And you wonder what Jesus would say in response to those kind of things. Well, why? Why? Why does Jesus talk to us this way in those kinds of situations? Because we are so prone to procrastinate. We are so prone to refuse or ignore. And therefore, Jesus says, when these experiences come into your own life, when you hear of them, they are a call to repentance. Why? Look at our text again. So that you will not perish. So that you will not perish. That's why he wants us to look at ourselves when we hear of a tragedy. Because most of us think that we'll never experience tragedy. But you never know. And so any time you experience or hear tragedy, ask yourself this question. Am I ready? Am I ready to meet my Lord? Am I ready? Because he says, I don't want you to perish. And the word for perish there is the same word that is used in John 3.16 where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus urges us, you see, here in our text to do this, think of repentance for one reason. He wants us in heaven. He wants us in heaven. And also to remind us that he went to the cross, he perished on the cross, so that we would not perish. That he finally came into this world, he lived and he died and he rose again, so that we would not perish. And so he says now, be careful, be careful, always, he says, looking at yourself in terms of your examination before the Lord. And so when you hear of a tragedy, don't, don't speculate about why. Don't condemn others because of this or that. Don't be judging and making judgments. Don't be asking why. Don't be pointing the finger at this one or that one. Don't get caught up in that. He says one thing, repent. Look at yourself. Examine yourself and your spiritual relationship to your Lord. And where repentance is needed, repent. Now, he goes on then, and this is after talking that way. Then the next thing he does in our, parable, in our uh, text, and look at this. In our, in our text, he then talks, he gives a parable. And those two things are put together. And he tells a parable. And maybe at first you don't see the connection, but most certainly there is a connection there. He's talking about tragedy and repentance and the need for that. And then he goes right into talking about fruit bearing. And he tells this parable. He says, you know there was a man who had a vineyard and he planted a fig tree in the middle of the vineyard. And he watched that fig tree for three years because fig trees are supposed to produce within three years. And that fig tree did not produce any figs in three years. And so he comes to the gardener and he says to the gardener, tear down that or cut down that uh, fig tree. It's not going to produce. And the gardener says, let's give it one more year. Well, what Jesus was talking about was fruit bearing. And the connection with what he has just said is this. Where there is repentance, there will be fruit bearing. How can you tell when there is real repentance? You can tell that there is real repentance when you see fruit bearing in a life. That's what happens. When there is real repentance, there will be change. Where there is real repentance, there will be doing that perhaps was not doing before. There will be turning back. There will be turning around. All of those kind of things. In other words, the fruit of repentance is changed lives or difference in lives. 
Now, if there's real repentance, he says, that's going to affect every relationship we have in life. That's going to affect our relationships in our families. That's going to be, affect relationships with the people that we work for, every person we know. Real repentance is going to show in our faithful worship in God's house. It's going to show in our study of God's word. It's going to show in our giving. It's going to show in our tithing. It's going to show in our service to our Lord. Jesus was talking about fruit-bearing when he talked about follow me. He was talking about fruit-bearing when he said that we should love the Lord with all of our heart and soul and mind and our brother as ourselves. And the Apostle Paul was talking about fruit-bearing when he talked about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control, all of those kind of things. And most certainly Jesus was talking about fruit-bearing when he talked about the Great Commission. So, this is how our text then comes together, how it comes together. In the first part of it, he's talking about how do you react when you hear tragedy? He says it should be a moment of self-examination, a moment of repentance, a moment of seeing, looking at your relationship to your Lord and asking yourself this question, life is uncertain, and I never know. Am I ready for death? if it comes now. And, he says, where there is repentance, there will be change and there will be fruit bearing. So we look at our text and it is a call to repentance and it is a call to fruit bearing. And our Lord urges us to do both. And so his word to be to you and me today would be, please hear and please heed. Amen.